Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 64 of the Double Density Podcast. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, I was a little bit late in recording this episode, and I apologize because I know that you were waiting on Skype. Well, I was living an exciting life event that I'm sh- is still unfolding as we speak, as we podcast, um, that you were sort of aware of, but I was actively um, sort of involved in. So a couple of weeks ago, the uh, Thanos did nothing wrong subreddit, decided that they were going to uh, ban half of their user base um, on the recording date here of July 9th, 2018. So it approached, and uh, just before we uh, started talking, they actually were in the process of writing the code and putting it in. And uh, have you been spared? So far, so good. I haven't been banned yet, but the numbers are going down slowly. So I guess I'm going to check in later on, uh, like after we record this episode, to see where I stand in the Thanos did nothing wrong community. Do you know where that comes from, by the way? What? Thanos? (laughs) Well, no, the Thanos did nothing wrong kind of name. Not really, no. I I know like the I know I know what the philosophy that Thanos uh what is it uh, who's the who's the philosopher that uh Thanos is uh, uh, uh taking his philosophy from again. I'm drawing a blank cuz I don't really care all that much. Oh. All I know is that he's trying to impress Lady Death. Yes. Uh but Lady Death in the movie was not uh Lady Death. This is, I'm pretty sure, due to another subreddit called The Empire Did Nothing Wrong, where people actually, like, uh, are boosters for the Galactic Empire in the Star Wars universe. That, that sounds weird. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's an interesting place to visit. Anyways, uh, all that uh, to say, right now, I am safe. Angela, we are uh, episode two of Summer Hours. How's it feeling? Are you wearing, like, cargo shorts? Is there a Hawaiian shirt in your future? Are you sipping some kind of exotic drink? No, I'm actually in my PJs, as I normally podcast in because we podcast in the evening the children are in bed i'm all ready to podcast and you were late because of a silly subreddit yeah but it's so much fun though this kind of cultural stuff don't you find like like the reddit admins were fully on board with this like uh, you were watching the stream and that was the official reddit account on twitch i I did go on to see why uh you were uh running late and i went on and uh, there's like a weird uh, classical music uh, playing yeah, in the yeah, background. Yeah, it had only started once they started deleting names. And, so <laughs> there you go. And uh, it's Malthusian uh, philosophy that he's using. There we go. Yes. Thank you. Using the power of the internet. Yeah. I was drawing a blank and I did not feel like stopping the episode. Yeah, and I, I drew a blank as well. So there we go. We are uh, all Double density up. dummies. Yes. Uh, so this is episode 64 as i mentioned at the uh, top of the episode and we wanted to talk about um something that is probably um more nostalgic for me than it is for you and that's the idea of the nintendo 64 seeing as though it is episode 64 and uh, strangely enough like it took me a second because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago and then we put it in the show notes and then i'd completely forgotten and then i was like why are we even talking about the nintendo 64 because it took me a double density dummy uh, a little bit of a minute to clue in yeah, uh, it's uh, the 64th episode. I figured it wouldn't be a bad idea to talk about it. Although, like you said, uh, it, it has less of a nostalgic thing for me because I was 19 when it came out. I, and it was like between like 94 and 98, I really wasn't playing uh, as many uh, video games as I used to. Like I'd maybe in 95, I had started uh, playing uh, Earthbound and that was like pretty much the last game I played on the Super Nintendo. And I never really bought a PlayStation or, um, what's the other one? The, the Saturn. Uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, poor Saturn. Codenamed the Ultra 64. And also, uh, do you remember the codename before that? 
was that the dolphin or is that the one? That it was the dolphin. It was the that's dolphin, right. right? Okay, because I, I was yeah. confused if that was the dolphin or no. Sorry, the dolphin. Is the, the dolphin GameCube. was the uh, the GameCube. Yeah, right. Okay, so right. so there we go. So now you're confusing everything else. Double Density presents the Three Titans. <laughs> My earliest memory is uh, opening up an old issue of Game Fan Magazine and seeing a still image of an in-progress, I guess, prototype of Final Fantasy VII on the Ultra 64. Like, this was, like, super, super, super alpha. Yeah, and uh, wasn't everybody disappointed when that did not come out on the N64? And then it took a walk across the street and ended up in CD Town, right? Because that was the big thing is that um, Square Enix or Square at the time really, really wanted full FMV. They wanted the full experience, and that it could only be achieved on a uh, drive uh, or rather a piece of media that can contain a lot of information, hence the CD. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about this later, but uh, the N64 was weird in that everybody was moving to CDs and Nintendo really stuck to their guns and wanted a cartridge, which I guess was forward thinking because now here we are 20 some odd years later and we have the Nintendo Switch, which is using cartridges. And at this point, the cartridges can actually hold more than any CD, because nobody uses CDs anymore. But less than a hard drive. Well, yes, uh, but you can put in a little hard drive. What are those called? The SD cards? Micro right. SD cards? Well, I was, my whole point was like I kind of wanted to tie that into the idea of uh, um, services like Steam, for example, right? Yeah. Which uh, we'll talk about later when we talk about um, a certain anniversary uh, uh, being celebrated around this time. But yeah, the idea that it's all uh, existing on a digital medium. Yeah, and, and, you know, Nintendo's idea behind the cartridges was, yes, they're much faster to access because if you've ever playing PlayStation, because I th- then, you know, in 97, I ended up getting a PlayStation or 98, I can't remember exactly when, and the load times were really bad. Yeah, uh, some of the games, yeah, they, they, they tested your patience. Like the, the doors in um, Resident Evil 2. You remember those? Oh, they took forever. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the early Resident all of them, yeah. Yeah. Uh, those are cool games, though, and the N64 couldn't really deal with those types of games, unfortunately. No. Also, not a lot of voice chips. Yeah, I mean, the amazing uh, full-motion video of the opening scene from Resident Evil could not be duplicated on the N64. Do you remember the opening scene of Resident Evil 2 with the truck? Yeah, yeah. That was CG, right? It yeah. wasn't full-motion video like... Uh, no, but I mean, like, the, the idea that that could not be reproduced on uh, the N64, which is, you know, very polygonal... Um, system. Oh yeah, they they had lots of square heads. Yeah, yeah, that's very very true. Fun gaming memories of there though that you you probably ended up touching it at one point, right? Yeah. Well, speaking of square heads, uh, I loved Perfect Dark. It was the game yes. that required yes. the, uh, the expansion pack, pack. the exact yeah. uh, expansion pack. It, was it the first time? Like all these consoles always had little slots for exam- uh, expansion packs. The Nintendo had it. The Super Nintendo had it. But neither of those actually used it. Super Nintendo was supposed to have a CD player, but that ended up turning into the PlayStation when they right. screwed over Sony. And uh, this was the first to actually use this expansion slot. 
And it made a difference. Uh, I think you couldn't even play Perfect Dark without it. No, you couldn't. You couldn't. Uh, so in our family, what had happened is that we had purchased an N64. We had played it. We had decided to sell it. And then we bought a PlayStation. And then a couple of years later, we ended up with one of those limited edition uh, Donkey Kong 64 uh, translucent green oh, yeah. Nintendo 64s. Oh, yeah. I remember those. Uh, with the expansion pack included. Oh, okay. They, it came together. Yeah, exactly. So, because the Donkey Kong 64 needed it. So, that was kind of an interesting kind of twist, and it definitely made a difference in all the graphics. I remember playing with that when I, uh, one of my early jobs was working at a big box re- a retail uh, electronics store, and we had, uh, I think it was Donkey Kong Country, or whatever it was called, Donkey Kong 64, 64 on display, yeah. uh, that and uh, Banjo Kazooie as well. Oh, yeah, another great game. Yeah, I. So I was I was mentioning to my fiance like sort of what we were planning on talking about tonight, and she had started prattling off a bunch of like very very specific N sixty four memories. So I think I actually may uh, do a bonus episode with her talking all about the Nintendo sixty four, her adventures with uh, Pokemon Stadium, Pokemon Snap, uh, talking about Mario sixty four, which we watched a speed race of at, of, at SGDQ recently. Um, so I think we actually may spin that off into its whole thing for all of our listeners here. So I'm kind of curious, you guys, if and you uh, ladies and anyone else who uh, identifies as other, if if you have N64 memories, we'd love to hear them. Double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram. Or you can click the contact form on double density.net in order to let us know how you feel about uh, one of the great last systems in my mind because I kind of gave up after that. GameCube onwards, I kind of lost the thrill of, of modern gaming. I, I liked the GameCube a lot. Uh, I got it for Metroid Prime. That's one of the games I was missing from the N64. I think a Metroid game would have gotten me to pick one up maybe. Uh, but I feel like the N64 is one of those games that peaked with the pack-in. Oh, with Mario? Yeah, that's oh. that's arguably still one of the best games ever. Yeah, but you got a lot of Zelda fanboys out there, right? Yeah, and Zelda is really good as well. But uh, yeah, so I guess it's one of those two. Double density. Moving on from video games to movies. Uh, so a movie pass is a subscription-based service in the States. And do you know anything about this? I don't know very much about it except for uh, hearing mention of it uh, in tech circles. But I really, like, I don't really care about this stuff. It's not something I would ever even actively seek out, even if it was available here in Canada. Uh, right. Because, even though it'd be cheaper than going to see one movie, though? Well, so, I yeah, if it's... I don't know what... How does so, okay, it, let me just... I'll, I'll explain okay. this to you, right? So, what happens is that MoviePass is a subscription movie service. You get to see one movie a day for nine ninety five a month. And that, so, how does that work? So, you pay into the service. Yeah. nine ninety five a month, right? Yeah. You go see movie a day. But how do they make money? That's a great question, Angela, because they're hemorrhaging money <laughs> ever since they, uh, they sort of hit uh, the national scene. They've been hemorrhaging... Um, about $40 million. That 40 mil is just in the month of May. Oof. Yeah, yes. that's not good. Yeah. Uh, not good, as certain presidents say. Uh, <laughs> not a bigly move. No. But yeah, so uh, basically what's happening right now is that uh, the user base pays X amount, and then uh, MoviePass compensates the movie theater chains uh, with the difference. Oh. Uh, okay, well, if it's nine ninety five for movie every day, whatever, even if it's like a movie a week... That's actually not bad. Like, how, who goes and sees a movie a day? There's not enough movies to go see. No, but I mean, like, if you're a student or something and you have the week off and you want to see a couple of things during e- the summer, I think it, it makes sense. peak movie watching, it was maybe two or three times a month. Maybe. Now it's maybe two or three times a year, if that. I've seen, yeah, I'm, I'm doing two a month right now, pretty much. Yeah, you want to see, uh, and you go to, like, movie premieres because you're special. Yeah, 
Well, no, I'm not special. I just, I'm nice to a lot of people and that's very reciprocal. I think that's how it works around here. Uh, but yeah, I just went to go see MN Wasp, loved it. Uh, I highly recommend it. It is a great sequel to the original movie. If you love the first one, you'll love the second one, et cetera, et cetera. But getting back to the matter at hand, right? So right now, uh, MoviePass is like hemorrhaging money. So one of the ways in which they want to um, sort of <laughs> stop the bleeding is by introducing the idea of surge pricing. So the more popular movies and showings that you want to go to. So for example, um, the less seats that exist uh, for a movie, the more they're going to jack up the price. Well, uh, that actually does make sense. It's sort of like what movie theaters do where there's no passes accepted to certain showings. Right. And I I do think it's an interesting kind of thing, but we're we're living in this like subscription-based world, right? With our Netflixes and our Spotify's. That frightens our, me, by the way. What? The subscription? I know. Well, we, we, yeah. that's a whole other episode talking about like the loss of ownership, right? And I think we've talked about it on a couple of episodes before. But the idea here is that, um, so for example, if I told you, and I want you to pretend that you are a fan of the rap artistry. Can you do that for me? Okay. Here okay. we go. I'm pretending. Right. So Drake uh, just dropped Scorpion, right? Like a highly anticipated project. Uh, we won't get into the merits or uh, sort of give a critique of the project itself because only I, I believe one of us here has listened to it. But yes. uh, c- consider the fact that like I told you, hey, in order to listen to Scorpion, it's an extra two bucks. Do you know the uproar that would cause like that would be caused by that? Yes, that would be. OK, I get it. But it's not. The thing is, is that. There's no limit to how many version copies of that can be pushed out over spotify or apple music whereas a movie theater has a limited amount of seats for whatever's showing oh for sure i'm not disagreeing with you i'm just saying like it's kind of the equivalent of like a surcharge on um something that you're already paying for right and i feel like that might annoy people yeah and and most people won't think of it logically looking at the explanation of okay well there's a limited amount of spots I, i'm not saying i agree with surge pricing i don't uh, you know, you make a promise, you have to keep it. That's where you're, you're like, maybe the movie will get sold out, sure. But if you're saying, okay, you're going to pay nine ninety five a month, and you can watch a movie a day, and then all of a sudden you like pull the rug out from underneath somebody, that's not cool. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I also think that like there's also an argument to be made, right? If you're paying ten bucks a month and you're going to see like a movie week, let's say, right? Like the extra four bucks swallowed into the whole cost of your movies for the month isn't that much? No. No, and already, how much does a movie cost? I don't know. Like, what are the prices of movies in the states? Because to go turtle to Canada, I'd say. Yeah, I, 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 my family and I went to watch The Incredibles a couple of weeks ago, and we spent like sixty bucks. Really? Yeah, I, the tickets and the food and everything. I mean, it gets expensive. Two words for you, or rather, one word: cam rip. I okay. Speaking of that, like, I would totally pay into brand new movies first run movies if they showed up on apple tv and i had to pay 30 or 40 bucks for it i'd be in well they were pricing they were pri- they were doing some tests earlier this year weren't they and it was a, it was it was a 50 dollar price point for a lot of these movies i'd be in for that 50 bucks to not have to leave my house now yeah. mind you my tv is like an 11 year old tv uh so it's not the best uh but i like if we I'm sure. I'm so what you're saying is TV. that we're not doing Angela's 4K viewing. No, place. I'll be getting a new TV like in the eventually in the next two or three years when this one dies. There's a lot of really interesting conversations to have about the distribution of media and how uh, consumption has changed and how we're uh, going towards that. And sort of um, through that lens, I kind of want to talk about something super quickly. Uh, you and I had a brief discussion recently about how you are not a you've historically not gone to see art house films, right? No, because I find them pretentious and boring. 
Okay, so hear me out. I hope that, and I, I don't believe this is going to be the case, unfortunately, but I feel like this surcharge may uh, want, people may want to actually go end up seeing other movies and different fare if they don't want to pay an extra price, right? So I feel like there may be a little bit of like room for um, the art house or the indie scene to sort of grow a little bit um, off the back of, of movie pass. Mumblecore. Yeah, the, yeah, the, like that's the, the only, brothers, exactly. That's the only like <laughs> term I know of like art house licks. Exactly, but uh, I do feel like there's like a, a laneway there that can be created based on you know initially people's laziness, but then maybe that's how you create a cinephile, right? Is just an opportune chance uh, of viewing of a movie that isn't necessarily like a classic blockbuster, and suddenly you're opening up doors um, to different genres of cinema that you hadn't considered before. Yeah, and I, I was being a bit of a, a jerk when I said it's pretentious and boring. Uh, it's just to like displace myself out of my house to see something that'll look just fine on my Netflix here at home uh, is something I don't necessarily do. And I'm also like scarred because I did do a fine arts degree and the movies I had to watch for that uh, were pretty unbearable. So the caveat with MoviePass is that it's great in theory if it works, right? So you had linked me to an article from The Verge about how uh, last Friday night uh, the app just decided to not work at all for its users yeah that's like a second smack across the head where okay first we're surge pricing (laughs) you and now we're surge pricing you and you won't get into your movie and you have to take a picture of the ticket you actually paid for so we can reimburse you Right, so MoviePass right now is that, and that's the whole thing is that like they uh, invited customers who had to physically purchase tickets in to take pictures, so they may get reimbursed, which I thought was kind of interesting and uh, an interesting tactic, I think. But yeah, um, outages for such a crucial, crucial app, especially at a time right now where they're looking at search pricing and they're looking at trying to figure out how um, to become solvent, are very, very large and looming uh, right in front of them. And or you don't piss off your user base at this like critical juncture, right? No, especially when you're hemorrhaging forty million dollars a month. Yeah, I mean, like, and that's an estimate too. Uh, and the other interesting thing is that, like, so we're talking about how um, this affects like box office profits a little bit because there's like a, a that difference between um, what a user pays for Movie Pass and what Movie Pass doles out um, to the different movie chains, right? Who then pay the studios? And I, I don't know if you know anything about how that that the receipt breakdown works in between those two and profit does. I used to sort of because I worked in a movie theater where. Um, I think opening week, um, the 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 studio the, the studio takes like eighty percent of the profits. Yeah, it's between eighty and ninety a lot yeah. of times, especially with the larger. And then it kind of yeah. kind of goes down. Yeah, bounces down. Movie yeah. theaters mostly make their money off concession stands. Right. I, I can't remember if it was AMC or one of the other chains recently was going to boycott a lot of the Disney properties in order to sort of leverage um, a better. <laughs> That's uh, all the more. <laughs> I know exactly fairer deals because of the fact that like they were giving away such a huge take of their first week receipts that it just it didn't make any sense for them to do so. Well, then you'll have nobody coming into your theater because you have no movies. The the top five movies are all Disney movies. Yeah. And that's kind of an insane. And, you know, with this Fox merger going through, it's an even bigger uh, piece of the pie, right? Well, we'll be talking about Disney in the next few weeks. Moving on over, uh, the last piece in the tech section this week is that the Apple App Store turns 10. Uh, so happy birthday to the App Store. So originally, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Steve Jobs didn't even believe in the concept of the App Store on the iPhone, right? No, he wanted a completely closed um, system where there's going to be nothing bad that can go onto the iPhone. Which, you know, it's not a bad idea, but... The whole thing is that you have this amazing device and you have all these really good developers who are developing great apps for the Mac. And that's something. The Mac, even back then, right, it was ne- the Mac's never had like more than 5 or 10% of the PC market. 
But back then, the whole reason I used the Mac was because the best apps were on a Mac. Back then, I used to call them programs, though. I feel like the App Store uh, <laughs> the, is... Double-clicking on the executable file. Yeah, like the, the, the App Store and its popularity were like the final death knell to the word programs. Yeah, I definitely do think so. And everything is an app now. Everything but, on your computer. Yeah, everything's an app. But the, the, the thing is, is that he came around... Well, for before he came around, he stood up in front of uh, all the uh, developers at WWDC in 2007. Yeah, that's when the iPhone came out, I think. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was in 2007. Yeah. And he basically said, we have this sweet solution for you guys. You're all going to make web apps. <laughs> like you would be able to save it as an icon on your screen and that was it, which was really dumb. That's what kind of started the whole jail- jailbreaking movement. And yeah. uh, But soon after, Apple smartened up, came out the App Store, and here we are 10 years later. It's such a weird concept, right? The idea of the gatekeeper of the applications. I mean, like the thing is like you can still buy off the shelf or from websites, um, like a, a myriad number of, of applications for your um, chosen device. But Not for the idea of the, well, yeah, unless you jailbreak. Right? Yeah, well, that, it's dumb to do that, right? Like you, you lose out on all the security features. Like just today they rolled out that amazing security feature where nobody can actually use a USB device to crack your phone anymore. Right. The, the, we talked about that a couple episodes ago. So now it's like uh, it's the newest date. update. It's the point one update. And uh, yeah, if, after an hour, they're not allowed to access uh, that USB. Yeah. Uh, There's really no port. point to, to, to actually jailbreaking anymore. And good or bad, um, I feel the, the good outweighs the bad of a closed system like iOS. And if you want a more open system, Android's right there. And it's really good too. So you have a choice. Well, I feel like the interesting thing about, I keep saying interesting thing in this episode, I apologize, but uh, the idea or the notion of curated apps, right? Yeah, that's something much more recent in uh, the app store where, uh, let's face it. Well, I just mean by definition of being able to make it into the store, it means that it's curated. Yeah, it's almost not very hard to get into the, it's not not that it's hard, but there's like what, 500,000 apps? No, millions of apps at this point? I don't even know the number. But now what they've done in, in iOS 11 and moving forward, they, they have like a really, when you go to the app store, there's like a curated list and there's really well done articles about apps uh, pointing people to the best apps out there among the, yeah. the, 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 there's quite a bit of garbage on the app store as well. As closed as it is, there's some shady stuff in there too. I find it super, super intriguing though the idea that like you, we now grew up in this culture where like recommendations uh, hold a lot of weight. Absolutely. That's where people get their information it's mostly word of mouth how do you think the whole uh flicking your app uh, things to turn to close your apps on iPhones propagates it's through word of mouth people who don't know what they're talking about tell their other friends who don't know what they're talking about to how uh, to shut off their apps when you're not supposed to and suddenly everyone's an app lemming yeah um something that's super interesting too is the idea of uh, curated games right so steam is one of the largest services if not the well it's actually he's the largest yeah. purveyor of of video games on the non-console market right for sure. And I find it super interesting that it exists. And uh, it's similar to the App Store, right? It, there isn't a gigantic barrier for entry, but they also celebrate and champion uh, a number of games on there that may not have otherwise uh, gotten their shine. Yeah, like little things like Stardew Valley and all that. And with that, Angelo, I'm going to see you over on the paranormal side of things. See you there. Are you wondering what's up with the latest tech news? Is the last privacy issue total mumbo-jumbo to your ears? What about that company that got hacked? What does it mean to you? Well, look no further, RGBA has you covered. We not only discuss what's happening today in the world of technology and Apple, 
but we're also reviewing tech products and taking the time to understand all of the real-life implications of the latest hack story. Tune in to RGBA.fm, where my co-host Tyler and I take a weekly dive down the series of tubes to surface news, rumors, and have the occasional coffee discussion or even a tech adventure. Listen to us on RGBA.fm for colorful tech news and reviews. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So we only have one subject this week. So recently, um, when I was in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, uh, insert a joke about hipster, et cetera, et cetera, I um, wandered into a used bookstore and I saw a book called Alien Rock, The Rock and Roll Extraterrestrial Connection. Of course, I had to have it. So I slapped down my hard-earned money and uh, bought it. And it's a fun little read all about Elvis, the Beatles, Mick Jagger, Marilyn Manson, and uh, Michael Jackson. It got me thinking about, you know, uh, rock stars, the connection between rock stars and UFOs is, is, has been existing for a long time, right? Yeah, they've always, um, rock stars are interesting people. They they kind of, they live in a fantasy land, most of them. Some of them literally where they make their own place that's a fantasy land like Graceland and Neverland uh, and the aforementioned Elvis and Michael Jackson. And... Yeah, it's they're weird and they do weird things and they see weird things and because yeah. they're so famous their weird sightings become famous. Was this book expensive well, exactly. by the way, Brian? No, it was like $6. Okay. American. Uh, it was used like 15,000 yeah, Canadian. Right, right. It was like a month's rent. I spent a month's <laughs> rent on a book about UFOs and rock stars. Um the first chapter though it has everything to do with like Elvis and his many run-ins with uh, the like supposedly otherworldly creatures, including how um, his father Vernon stepped out for a cigarette the night that Elvis was born, looked up in the sky and saw um, a glowing, strange blue light. Okay, and I didn't knew nothing about this for Elvis really? uh, having been a UFO aficionado, as it seems. I did oh, not yeah. know this at all. Well, okay, so a couple of things, right? So you know that he had a twin brother who died in stillbirth. This I, I this I knew, yes. So yeah, so uh, Vernon sees something, uh, Jesse dies, and something really interesting is that Elvis actually believed that he um, uh, absorbed the spirit of his brother, right, that he believed, um, with some guilt actually later on. There's a two-tome, uh, there are two tomes out there um, that kind of bookend Elvis' life by Peter Goralnik, uh, The Last Train of Memphis, The Rise of Elvis Presley, and Careless Love, The Unmaking of Elvis Presley. It's like, like a total of like 1,300 pages all about the rise and fall of Elvis, and in there he talks about how Elvis uh, definitely did have um, some weird regret that he, like some survivor syndrome that he had made it out of the womb and his brother hadn't that, and that he believed that uh, his his spirit lived within him so elvis as a child i don't know if you know this was visited by um some otherworldly creatures and shown his future and told that he was gonna be famous i don't know if you know about well that. i knew about it because of the article you posted in our show notes but otherwise oh, well, i knew nothing right. about I, I i just thought elvis was slightly strange but I didn't oh, he, know. He had so many. He had so many moments, in it. and in the book, there were several people who, who were part of his road crew and his entourage who had spoke about the fact that Elvis would look off, and apparently he could control um, and make things appear in the sky and things like that. And like there were a lot of like really what? really lofty claims made. Yeah, yeah, no, oh yeah, it's like Stephen Greer. Yeah, I <laughs> that is one way of looking at it. Sure, there's just like this crazy kind of like lore around Elvis and the. Um, otherworldly beings i guess would be the best way of putting it that that exists that i don't think many people know about but um it's well documented uh in terms of like uh, interviews with people around him who have spoken about the fact that they've seen a lot of lights he was able to like make some appear etc cetera, etc cetera. so he lived a very kind of interesting life um in a spiritual realm and in an extraterrestrial realm yeah and uh elvis is somebody that we never neither of us ever was alive when he was alive um and you know when i think of that i think of how Kurt Cobain has is sort of like what is to my daughter what Elvis was to like you. 
who died like you know over 10 years before you were born or maybe a little less than that yeah eight years yeah Yeah. that's a very good point too actually like that that weird distance in time yeah uh so moving on from elvis uh mick jagger of the rolling stones he uh so there's a couple of things about him that find him really interesting he uh went out camping with his then girlfriend marion faithful in the 60s and saw a cigar-shaped mothership kind of floating around um and apparently it's like one of many um kind of different uh ufos he's seen in his life and so he bought this estate and i can't remember where exactly right now but he installed different ufo detectors Okay, I had. Okay, look, I'm interested in music and I'm interested in UFOs. I knew none of this. Yeah, so uh, he apparently uh, had a lot of trouble because the detectors uh, kept going off. This is fascinating to me. So, anyways, moving on from the Stones to the Beatles, uh, John Lennon was probably um, the Beatle with like the most number of encounters, right? I think. Well, I I didn't see anything about the other three, uh, and there's an extensive. Uh, article that you linked me to on John Lennon's UFO uh, sighting that he had just outside his apartment in um, in 1974 in the right. summer. So this one this one comes with a caveat though, and I have to explain why. Um, the story uh, now that Lennon has passed is mostly told by Yuri Geller. Yuri Geller, yeah. This is, I didn't. Re- Where is this? Oh wait, it's not it's in here. It's, it's in the book that I read. It's in the book that I read. Okay, well, this ruins everything. I cannot trust anything your Geller says. I thought it was being yeah, well, recounted by his... Uh, his assistant, he, right? But His assistant the, the story... slash lover, May Pang, is what is written in the, uh, in, <laughs> in the article. Well, what I am saying is that uh, Yuri Geller has carried the torch for the John Lennon UFO story. Uh, yeah, yeah. With Ben That Dude's is a little hand. problematic. I know, I know. Um, but yeah, apparently, like, John comes out, uh, looks out... Um, over the skyline and sees this object uh, approach him and then uh, the ufos uh kind of approach and hover for a while and then he um has a bona fide encounter like these these beings land and then they show him his entire life in movie form like kind of like he's watching a movie of his life kind of like elvis when he was a child yeah they seem to uh show these artists that uh they have been or will be famous uh, in the case of uh, elvis presley see john lennon was already famous and uh, they also mentioned how he was being uh, surveilled by the United States government. Uh, who knows if this was not just like an early drone? There's a whole documentary about the, the you know, the United States versus John Lennon. I don't know if you saw that. Never saw it, no. Okay. So uh, apart from watching uh, this movie, uh, John Lennon is given this tiny little um, goldish looking alien egg. And the reason why Yuri Geller is hiding this is because John Lennon gives Yuri Geller the egg saying, I don't know what this is. I don't believe it. I don't want this in my life. Very strange. I, I knew nothing of this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting kind of little uh, side tale to the uh, myth of John Lennon uh, muddied by the presence. See, I'm learning along <laughs> with everybody else tonight. Um, some of the rock stars you want to talk about are Matt Bellamy of Muse, who has claimed to be abducted and also wrote multiple songs based on the uh, writings of Zachary Stitchin's 12th Planet. I don't know if you know that. Well, I think this is how sort of this topic got chosen by us, is that I was listening to a Muse album and, and you know, he talks about Cydonia and all that. And, and I thought I felt that it was very uh, apropos of what we talk about here. And then I realized, oh, he's totally into this stuff. Oh, yeah, no, he totally is. And he, he really admits, and he um, was allegedly abducted when he was a teenager uh, in the countryside going to visit his girlfriend. Whole hog believes in a lot of this stuff. Did he ever go on tour of Blink-182? 
No. Uh, and just as a note to everyone, we're not going to be talking about Tom DeLonge this episode. I feel like that's almost too facile to do. No, no. It, it would be a waste of time. Everybody knows he's into aliens. He has a whole uh, corporation behind them about that. So there. Yeah, we're not going to be talking about Tom DeLonge at all. This is a Tom DeLonge moratorium here on episode 64. Episode 65, Double Density, though. Uh, open play. Okay, maybe. Nothing. Everything is on the table here, Tom DeLonge style. And, you know, another... So we talk about uh, Matt Bellamy, but another huge rock star that uh, is totally enamored with aliens is Sammy Hagar. Well, not only enamored, he claims that he... Uh, received knowledge of uh songs to write as well as like how to expand his skills i heard him i think he was on the joe rogan podcast talking about this maybe i'm wrong uh, maybe they were just talking about him i don't know i heard this somewhere years ago this is like from 2011 that he's been talking about this and he had like information downloaded into his brain by aliens yeah and it's uh <laughs> yeah yeah uh, I am willing to believe it. Why not? He claims that he gets his rock and spirit uh, from uh, and his rock and knowledge from aliens who have visited him since he was a child, right? So apparently that he, when he was younger, he once was chucking rocks at what he now understands to be UFO, for example. So there's a lot of that going on. That's, that's what he was doing while Eddie Van Halen was learning every instrument ever. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Those two different tracks converge, though, and we get an album like 5150, which we've both talked about how great it is. Um, actually, no, that's our recommendation of the week. As soon as you stop listening to this podcast, check out Van Halen's 5150. If you don't love it, we'll, we'd be very surprised. That's, that's the one with Atlas holding up the world or something, right, in the album cover? Yes, yeah. So very quickly, I just I kind of wanted to touch upon the idea that um, uh, I'm just wondering if there's like um uh, so I want to lay on like two different tracks, right? So one, do you think um, if extraterrestrial beings exist, uh, do you believe that they are attracted to um, different spirits of a certain energy who uh, become famous? Well, there seems to be a correlation here, unless it's just because these are famous people, uh, and within the percentage of humans that have seen or claim to have seen aliens. This, it seems to be more and more so amongst famous people because we hear their stories. Meanwhile, Joe down the street, we don't know what he's talking about. That's an interesting thing. But a, a lot of these, and I'm just talking about Elvis, and I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, uh, John Lennon and uh, Matt Bellany, but people who've been visited at a younger age, um, and especially in Elvis's case, like shown his future, right? Like, there's not a lot of that going on. No, and this is what? It's two or three of these rock stars that had this happen to them? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we've mentioned these, but there are several others who have had similar encounters where aliens have kind of laid out their lives uh, right in front of them at a young age. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if there's like a, you know, if they're just tuned differently and therefore no pun intended. more attractive, exactly, and the therefore more attractive to, uh, to these beings. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that because uh, musicians think differently about things. Um, the way they approach life is different, just in good and bad, right? There's, uh, there's amazing, they create this amazing art, but a lot of them die tragically because of the way their mind works. Uh, just look at uh, how horrible it is, like the 27 Club, all these artists that died so young. You wouldn't think of that way, right? Like when I, I remember when, uh, when I was a kid, Jimi Hendrix seemed like, because he was a long time ago and he seemed so old and then he died so young. Um, did Jimi Hendrix have any UFO stuff? Yeah, you're right. I mean, Jimi Hendrix did have a, a, a very, um, not prominent, but a UFO experience that he definitely did talk to uh, with a lot of people. And uh, I'm going to drop an article in the show notes for people to read a little bit more about that on, because I wasn't planning on talking about Hendrix. But yeah, uh, he was part of the 27 Club, saw something, right? Yeah, he saw a UFO encounter uh, like uh, near Woodstock, apparently. And um, 
also said he was from Mars. Yeah, but that's that's neither here nor there. Yeah, he was a. Again, we're going back. Musicians are uh, odd to say the least. They're definitely and, and so like that's the first track I want to explore with you is this, and, and I do believe that people are tuned for like at different frequencies, right? So maybe it does make um, certain types of beings um, uh, more attracted to them um, and easier to seek out, right? Yeah, if, well, if they existed, let's say, yeah, uh, there may be. You know, we talk about this tuning and different dimensions, and you've talked about this before. Maybe they're tuned more towards the other dimension that you think these beings come from which I can't oh, believe sure. I, I think... said those words, but hey. I mean, the thing is, like, here at Double Density, we love to sort of explore different sorts of takes and uh, narratives and see where things go. We're definitely um, open to new evidence, well, right? Well, one of us more than others, but yeah. Yes, yes. And a very quick glance, we'll figure out who is who on this one. But the second track I wanted to take is that um, a lot of these rock stars um, tend to lose touch with reality, right, on a day-to-day basis because of the way that they live their lives and then their fame and notoriety, right? So it's almost easier um, to them to want to accept that these encounters have happened even if they haven't, right? So the idea of um, not being in touch with reality literally and figuratively. You know, Graceland and in Elvis's, in Elvis's case and then, you know, uh, the Neverland Ranch from Michael Jackson, okay. for example, these are the very kind of like uh, typical compounds that exist um, that keep people away. Elvis, let's say, right? You... you... He's, he's the one we talked about most, I think. And he had some of the strangest encounters, especially with the whole thing about him seeing his future and an alien kind of telling him he was going to be a famous rock star. Although, was there even a word rock star back then? No. A uh, famous person? He was going to be a famous singer, a famous musician. And he was, arguably, probably one of the most famous. It's died down now, but when I was a kid, everybody was talking about Elvis sightings and how he was probably still alive somewhere. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a persistent thing, right? Like the idea of him and Tupac hanging out. Yeah, and this is not something that people talk about as much as they did back in the day. I mean, what, every second issue of the National Enquirer was probably a picture of Elvis being seen at a mall somewhere. Yeah, exactly, and I'm completely fine with that. He's There's a multitude of Elvis's, right? I like the idea that when he died, his spirit multiplied into multiple bodies. Oh, that's an interesting theory. I mean, I'm really not. I mean, it's a joke theory. It's a fun theory to think about the idea of a, a propagation of Elvises, right? All the alien abductions were them actually injecting Elvis juice into everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, there is a t- like a loss of touch with reality there that makes it easier for these people to enter these situations and make them believable and less skeptical. Yeah, and um, like wrapping it up here, what if it's basically too much base? So this is an interesting theory that you showed me that I am on board with, but it explains ghosts and not UFOs. Yeah. Though. So you linked me to an Adam Neely uh, video that is really, really cool all about uh, how we f- vibrate Yeah, uh, yeah, f- as a frequency or a series of frequencies. I recently discovered Adam Neely through uh, my other uh, favorite music YouTube channel, uh, Rick Beato. But uh, Adam Neely, I've been binging on his videos for the last week. They're all fantastic. And... You know, they're music-based mostly, but this one that we're going to link to is about, um, it's called Seeing Ghosts with Infrasound, and he talks all about infrasound and how it works. He actually even set up a very special subwoofer so he can actually hear, well, not even hear, hear but feel these levels, and he had them play. Yeah, and he shows it the whole EQ. Yeah, and it played for 10 minutes, and he said it felt very odd. Yeah, he said a sense of impending doom. Yeah. Um, so... It could be, and we've kind of thought about this, you know, how, how some people would 
when they're near certain fans even uh feel strange and see more things like there's even that whole uh how fans will kill you in south korea thing <laughs> right yeah um but i don't think it's anything with this but yeah could it be too much bass led these musicians to uh see strange things uh obviously this doesn't account for a uh, child elvis uh, being no, told no. by aliens that he's going to be famous, you, but you, it can people have to understand you're being a little facetious here. Yeah, a little bit, but I, I just yeah, I wanted to yeah. shoehorn this awesome video into <laughs> this episode. It's a really great video, and we're going to go ahead and link to that in the show notes. My big takeaway is that our eyeballs vibrate at a frequency of about 18 hertz, and so that is super fascinating. And if there's anything that's fascinating to Brian these days, it is anything to do with eyeballs. Well, yeah, exactly. It's my line of work, right? So that's the way it is. Uh, so we're kind of curious if anyone out there um, has any interesting encounters or stories of rock stars or if you're a musician. Um, that we haven't told. Yeah, that we haven't told here on the episode. We'd love to hear. Send us links. Send us links. Send us videos. Send us whatever you like. Over on Twitter, double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram. And you can click on the contact button at double density.net. Right, Angelo? All right. Uh, we always appreciate your uh, input about the show. And keep those reviews coming. We want to know what you think about the show. Uh, and with that, we are bringing episode 64 of A Double Density to a close. Angelo, I hope that you keep on f- vibrating at the frequency that you need to frequently vibrate at. <laughs> I hope so, too. What a tongue twister yeah, that was. That was I, I'm actually surprised you got through that in one take. <laughs> Tune in next week as we sit around and wait to see which one of us stays and which one of us disappears in a cloudy mist of smoke. And I'm going to report next week to see whether or not I was one of the survivors on the Thanos Did Nothing Wrong Supper Day. Angelo, I will see you next week, my friend. See you next week, Brian. Oh, did you just get Thanos? Yeah.